In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents. I like beer. I don't know if you do. Okay. Do you like beer, Senator, or not? Uh, my party is going bet crazy. Yeah! You're the pop- Alternative facts. Oh, goodness. The Betches Sup Podcast. America! Hello, and welcome to the Betches Sup Podcast. I'm Brian Russell Smith. And I'm Amanda Duberman. And the Betches Sup Podcast is your daily roundown of all the crazy news happening today. Amanda, let's get into it. <laughs> Seriously. Literally just day by day. I mean, can you imagine going back? We've been talking about this internally, but going back to a Monday, Thursday. Can you imagine if after the end of today, we didn't talk about the news again until Thursday? It would be I awesome. Know. I know. I was thinking about that too. I, it, I, I, like the amount of stuff that is just constantly happening every single day. It's I think that's why I like it because we do, we are able to touch on everything where it's like normally on a Thursday, we would all have to kind of get rid of our darlings because like something super that we all really wanted to talk about on Tuesday, like Mm -hmm. by Thursday was like, did that even happen? So now we actually get to to touch on all of it and we're going to plan to do that for the foreseeable future. I mean, the selection is like less than five months away. So I'm sitting at home. I can do it every day. (laughs) I know. I, when you put it into perspective like that, someone was telling me that too. And I was like, Oh yeah, well, like I know, like I was just talking about, like you know, having, like maintaining, you know, the mental energy that will have to come during September and October to yeah. really like get through the election. And I'm like, oh my god, that's only in like two months, two to three months. I have to like, I like that, like, you know what I mean? Like just like because you know, know, this this isn't a sprint; it's a marathon. Yeah, um, yeah, and obviously, like people we're learning more and more every day have like kept up this stamina forever. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's a sprint. Yeah. I feel like it's a sprint and a marathon. It's like a 25 mile race. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking uh, of uh, Amanda, what did you do this weekend? Oh, yeah. I was just saying that I, I, I walked 20 miles on Saturday protesting, but it was mainly because I was just like a dumb dumb and was like, no, this curfew, I can definitely find a ride home. Mm. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Nope. Nope. But yeah, I was out for most of Saturday. It was, I want to use my words because I, I want to say things like it was really joyful and healing, but I know that isn't everybody's experience and everybody has different emotions when they're out there. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that this second weekend of protests, we definitely saw just across the country, fewer violent clashes, probably because we saw so many that police couldn't get away with it anymore. Yeah. What would you say to someone that has been like, you know, apprehensive about going out to protests? Like, did you feel any apprehension before you did it? And like, what made you like, decide upon going? Yeah, I mean, the extent of my apprehension is really just in terms of the the pandemic, like, am I threatening public safety by going out there and then potentially becoming an asymptomatic carrier and then exposing other people? But those are frankly things you have to weigh. Like, honestly, I am I'm somebody that has been leaving my house a lot. I try not to interact with people and I don't go places, but like I go on walks. 
I go to the grocery store maybe more than once a week. And those are things that I was like, all right, if I'm going to go and spend my time in these crowds, those are the things that I am not going to be able to do this week. So it's just like a trade-off. But I met up with Sammy too. And I think the overwhelming consensus is that like, there's really no issues like until police show up. Obviously there are police around to like, if there are any issues during the day, but not nearly the presence that you see when the sun goes down. Um, but it's also, it's like, you're really, there's no like safe. I never feel safer than when I'm in one of these environments because there's literally people giving you water, giving you cliff bars, offering you first aid. Like I felt safer there than I do in my own home. Yeah. Um, so if you're comfortable, I mean, definitely weigh if you're somebody who is already an essential worker and you want to minimize your exposure, like, I think that's why it's so important that people that do feel safe and comfortable going out uh, uh, should go out. But there were a lot of really beautiful scenes and moments of just healing and solidarity. Obviously, everybody spent the week. I can obviously not even begin to imagine the anger and devastation and fear that, that Black people feel this week. But I think a lot of us felt very angry this week. And it really does feel good to be able to go out and experience that with people and process it and have sort of a release that I'm sure is amplified by the fact that it's like your first time in a crowd of people in months. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, I definitely didn't feel unsafe. Obviously every city is different and every police department is responding differently. But during the day, if you feel comfortable going with a friend, um, at no point during the day did I any of us feel unsafe or mm-hmm. uncomfortable. I mean, I felt uncomfortable because it was 90 degrees, but yeah. Totally. And I, I, I just thought I would, I was like, there is a curfew. Yeah. But I don't know why I just, I saw the videos of people getting arrested in the street, but I was like, I'm sure I'll be able to find a car or I'll bike, but no, they shut down the bikes. So you can't get bikes. So I just, mm-hmm. the reason I ended up walking so much is because I had to walk from all the way downtown, all the way home. But I am, yeah. many people walked much, much further. Totally. I noticed when I, I had gone for a moment last week and I had noticed also, it seemed like the majority of protesters, basically everyone is wearing masks. Uh, face Everybody is wearing a mask except kind. I saw not one police officer wear a mask. I know. that Those were going to say the only people I saw not wearing masks were police officers. It's like they're intentionally being dicks about it. Like I don't know. It was very, one. very bizarre. Not one. It's bizarre. And they're getting in, they're getting close to people. They're touching people. Like mm-hmm. That's when I left the protest is when it was just getting to a space where people's bodies were going to be touching and just like out of respect to the person I live with and people I spend time with. I just... Yeah. didn't think it was the best place for, for me to be. Um, yeah, so should we dive into some of the successes that have sort of seemed to come directly from yeah. the show of solidarity? Totally. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. 
Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. Um, so you might have heard yesterday that Minneapolis City Council members announced that they have a veto-proof plan to dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. So, yeah, the council members announced their position Sunday from the stage at a rally organized by Black activists in response to the May 25th killing of George Floyd while in police custody. They said that the police department is beyond reform and cannot be reorganized or reformed as it currently exists to ensure public safety. Um, So, wow. It's like a breakup. It's like, we can't fix it. It's too broken. We got to yeah. start over. Yeah, exactly. There's yeah, not there, enough good here. No couples therapy for us. None. Um, and so as Lisa Bender, the Minneapolis City Council president said, our efforts at incremental reform have failed, period. Our commitment is to do what's necessary to keep every single member of our community safe and to tell the truth, that the Minneapolis police are not doing that. Our commitment is to end policing as we know it and to recreate systems of public safety that actually keep us safe. So basically they've lost all faith that the police department can be fixed. And uh, yeah, they want to dismantle the quote, dismantle it and will work. The work is by taking a series of steps through budget and policy decisions over the coming weeks and months. And this happened a day after Minneapolis mayor, Jacob Frey was booed out of a rally after telling a crowd of protesters he didn't support dismantling the city's police department. Um, what did you think about him show- going there to the protests? Yeah, I mean, I think he definitely needed to be at the protests, and I really admire the activists for putting him on the spot like that. They deserve to know, and they had a specific question, which was, will you abolish the police? Or they asked, will you defund the police? And he didn't really, he kind of copped out because he said, like, I will not abolish. And we're going to get into this later in the episode. And it's something we'll talk about a lot, but sort of the differences and how we talk about that and the words we use. I'm still learning more, but I think to me, it just does sound like there's a difference between abolish and defund. Defund Mm -hmm. refers more to reallocating, whereas abolish suggests there's no police presence. So it's like, I feel like he could have, they didn't ask him, are you going to abolish the police? But he said, I will not abolish the police. They asked, will you defund the police? And he, he could have, I don't know. I feel like there was a, a, he could have given them a more substantive answer and 
I'm glad that he was asked to do that publicly and they made it very clear, like you need to say this for the people that are going to decide if you're going to continue to represent us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, this also came as New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio vowed to rethink the NYPD's $6 billion budget and reallocate some of those, some of that to social services. Um, he said he's going to move some of that to specifically youth and social services. Also last week, LA Mayor Eric Garcetti agreed to slash between 100 and $150 million from the LA Police Department. Um, their budget is currently about $2 billion. I think that LA's mayor is a lot more popular in LA than our mayor is in New York. Um, yeah. But even still, I'm I'm... What's kind of a learning curve for me is I'm realizing that a lot of the politicians, the sort of mainstream Democrats and even mainstream progressives that we tend to exalt and are, we like to meme and celebrate are, I'm realizing not as progressive on things like police reform as this movement demands. And I'm trying to be more careful in how much we celebrate these things. Like, yeah, Bill Wise is like, all right, I'll move some of this, but is that, a, is that window dressing? What does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. My sense from Bill de Blasio is that actually this isn't a huge change. People want bigger promises from him and there needs to be like, people are really mad at de Blasio for a, a for lot of reasons. Yeah. Of things, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's something that I'm, I'm going to try to learn more about. I saw a lot over the weekend, you know, we'd seen a lot of times when we talk about Mitch McConnell, you see a lot of calls to fundraise for Amy McGrath, uh, who is mm-hmm. sort of like his most high-profile Democratic opponent. But that primary hasn't happened yet, and there's actually somebody else running in that race. His name's Charles Booker, and he's a black man, and I've seen a lot more um, support and elevation of, of his campaign ahead of that primary. And I think that that's great. I think that's important uh, that we all sort of rethink, like, if we actually really agree with these policies, like, we have to think critically about if the candidates that we are presented to us as the more mainstream or sort of the shoe-ins are, are really the ones that we want to be handling that. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are a lot of races that are happening that, you know, probably aren't getting as much attention as they could have been. You know, I'm thinking of like, specifically for me personally, is like we have the um, New York primary coming up on June 23rd. Did you receive a mail-in ballot, by the way? Is this, we could no, talk I, got, I don't know why. I need to figure I out what happened. I didn't get one either. Anyways, I will Thanks have to reminding me. I will have to look into that further. Um, however, like in my our district, I think we have the same district, District Ten. Jerry Nadler is our congressman. There is like progressive people running against him, and he, not to say that he's not a progressive, but like it's interesting that we aren't seeing. I'm not learning more about. I feel like I'm I'm, I'm surprised yeah. that I'm not being learn learning more about this because Jerry Nadler is like. Yes, like he's obviously he's pretty like liberal. He's done some things, but he's also been in Congress for like what twenty years or something. Right. So like I don't know. It's just interesting that we haven't like seen a big bigger. Push. Yeah, and these know. these politicians that have been in the business for a long time have pretty deep relationships with police and police unions. Yeah, totally. That's that's sort of been a normalized thing that I think we're realizing is not something we can accept as progressives anymore. Yeah. So today, speaking of, House and Senate Democrats will unveil uh, legislation that would bring about wide-ranging reforms to the country's police department. It's called the the Justice in Policing Act of 2020. It would prohibit the use of chokeholds, lower legal standards to to pursue criminal and civil penalties for police misconduct, and ban certain no-knock warrants, in addition to creating a national registry to track police misconduct, um, which I think makes sense, obviously. Like, 
we should know what if police officers are, you know, having misconduct right. and not just being relocated, you know? Exactly. Uh, the plan was crafted by the Congressional Black Caucus and the House Judiciary Committee with help from Senators Cory Booker and Kamala Harris. The Supreme Court might also take up a case on qualified immunity, which protects government officials from being sued in civil court. So it basic, which basically shields government officials from being held personally liable for actions they take while doing their job, unless their actions violated clearly established federal law or constitutional rights. So that's yeah. good. I mean, I've just been waiting to see, like, it felt like... I was, you know, waiting to hear what the reaction was going to be because, you know, the March on Washington sort of led to the Civil Rights Act. And so it's like, okay, now that we have all of these, you know, protests, it's like, what concrete things are we going to see policymakers take up? Yeah, Um, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I heard, uh, I can't remember which podcast, I think it was on Love It or Leave It, where an activist said that, or a journalist said that a lot of the energy behind Bernie Sanders campaign, there's still so much energy there and not just Bernie Sanders, but people that support Elizabeth Warren and, and all, and a number of candidates that were not Joe Biden. Obviously he wasn't extremely popular, even though he's the nominee. Um, that energy seems to be aligning behind things like police reform, which is really inspiring. Um, Joe Biden today is meeting with George Floyd's family, which is like wonderful, but also it's very presidential. It's just crazy that Trump is like up here saying that, you know, the jobs report is a, is good and honors the memory of George Floyd and is like creating division. And you have Joe Biden, who was also polling really well today, like going and, and sitting down with George Floyd. I hope what he's doing is what we've wanted him to do throughout the entire pandemic, which is like pretend he's president and then make it. Make it so. An easy call. Exactly. Exactly. So this brings us to the bigger topic of defunding police. I talked to a lot of friends over the weekend, um, and I'm curious how you've talked to your family about this, about how that term does sound kind of radical and can be a little bit alienating if you don't know what it means. Um, I think there are definitely a set of activists who believe Americans would be more safe if we abolished police completely, if they did not exist in our communities and were totally replaced. Um, if you think about it, and I think we've said this on the podcast before, like if you are, if you spent most of your life as probably a white middle to upper class person, you probably already li- have lived in a world without police. They're not mm-hmm. roaming your communities looking for crimes and, you know, trying to hit their whatever tallies they have to hit and just arresting people for whatever minor infraction they see because they're present in the community. So something I've been thinking a lot about this week is like, I think that we're sort of taught that police follow crime, not that maybe crime follows police, not just because literally we've seen police commit crimes, but for example, like the curfew, I was in parts of the neighborhood where there were people out after curfew, but nobody was being arrested. Where in other neighborhoods, people were out and they were being arrested. It, and and after being out after curfew was considered a crime that week or enough mm-hmm. to detain you. So it's like, it's not like the people in the other neighborhoods aren't committing the crimes. I'm doing air quotes. It's that the police aren't there yes. or police are there, but they're racist and they just choose not to enforce, to enforce the law differently with, with lots of people. Um, but defunding police more broadly refers to basically reallocating funding from the police department to, and reinvesting it in communities, uh, specifically maybe the marginalized or low income communities where much of policing does occur. 
Um, you know, when you think about police are called in your community, it can be for a lot of things that probably don't deserve a law enforcement response and can actually escalate if law enforcement is called. Like, black men have died because they were experiencing a mental health episode and police could not handle that appropriately and killed them. Where some cities already do this, but there are other numbers you can call if there's a person in your community who seems like they're in distress and needs help. You can call in New York, there are specifically homeless resources. And I don't know if they're incredibly popular in this city. I'm not sure if they also need reform. So I don't want to say like that's the best option anyway. Obviously, this stuff needs to be looked at in, in a lot of ways. But in Minneapolis specifically, a majority of 911 calls refer to things like mental health episodes, homelessness. I mean, I think in New York City, being homeless is a crime. So you can yeah. literally call the police if you are an asshole and there's somebody in your community who, who Sleeping on a home park is, bench. Is, is on your block or on a block. Yeah, you can call the police. And that's not the best way to deal with that. And that can be really dangerous for the person you're calling the police on when they don't actually pose any danger of your society. So I, tell me if you would agree, but I would say that's what defund the police primarily refers to, even though maybe in practice it's more like reforming. Like you are yeah. removing funds, but you're not it's, just it's, completely it, leaving them it, out there. Exactly. And then the money's being diverted so the police wouldn't have to be addressed in those situations, basically. Right, exactly. And, it's it's still to help public safety just from a different source. And like when you when you think of it in a fact like a way that's like defunding, it does seem radical to say, but like you think about um we've you know, government agencies have been defunding education, health services for years, decades, et cetera, social services, you know, and so it's really like, just like think of it that way. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And there are a lot of police officers who also want this too. I mean, mm-hmm. the, a lot, I mean, imagine like Van Jones was on CNN this morning saying like, imagine you're a 23 year old police officer fresh out of the academy and you're called to a domestic violence scenario and you're not a marriage counselor. Like you're not, you're, you don't know what you're doing there other than you're a person with a gun and can deescalate. That's the only option you have. Like you're not trained to deescalate the situation between two people. You're not trained to figure out the best way for a person who lives up for a homeless person to figure out what they need to thrive in the immediate future and to protect themselves. Um, so yeah, that's what I was saying with, with, with Fry, like I think him being asked, like him saying, I won't abolish, even though he was asked, will you defund was kind of a cop out. Like mm-hmm. they really just asked him to explain how he would reinvest in other parts of the community. And he acted like he was being asked to just leave the police sort of out to dry. Um, police colors who co-founded the black lives matter movement, uh, the way she put it, she noted that defending the police, like you said, Brian, specifically calls for reinvesting in those communities that are most likely to become victims of police violence um, because of the issues that sort of eventually police are called in to address. Uh, she said that defunding law enforcement means that we are reducing the ability for law enforcement to have resources that harm our communities. It's about reinvesting those dollars into black communities, communities that have been deeply divested from. Um, this obviously refers to also the issue of militarized police. Why mm-hmm. do our police have tanks in our small towns when teachers are buying school supplies? Like when we say defund the police, we, we mean we want answers to those questions. Yeah. Um, but Brian, you've said on the podcast before that you do have family members that can be resistant to some of the, the things we believe in. How have you kind of approached this topic with them? Totally. I mean, I think really, I think talking about like referring to me as like, reform and demilitarization is important because I've been like, I've been trying to think of like also in a way that like would like 
and so there is an option, it, like a, like a hit the button reaction. So like, it seems like there's still something there for them. You know what I mean? And so it's like, look, they are saying they can call in the National Guard. Like Trump is like, we'll call in the National Guard, we'll call in the military. And so it's like, not that I support that, but if they call in the National Guard, they have military equipment. So why does the police need it too? And especially when, you know, police officers are not trained to handle military equipment, especially not in the same way as as the National Guard would be. So why do they both need it? They don't. Right. Police officers and do not need military right. equipment. That's when you can even tell if the person patrolling your city is a cop or National Guard. I mean, did mm-hmm. you see those scenes from D.C. all last week where there were just law enforcement in riot gear with weapons who had no identification, who wouldn't tell people who they worked for, but we just knew vaguely worked for the federal government? That is horrifying. And like, how do That's we... That's like, shit. How are we even supposed to... How are we supposed to know, like, as a person, like, how can we be held accountable be like, I didn't know what this person was doing. I didn't know who they were. I thought maybe that they were a, you know, um, a random person with a gun. There are like, those vigilantes that are roaming communities exactly. too. I think you, I, exactly, like, like how, how someone, you need to be able to hold accountable. And it seems like, you know, even now, like, I was just reading how Trump is meeting with these people, like, police unions, closed press. You know what I mean? Like, talking to people, no press. Like, I'm like, what? Like, we need to know what you're saying to these people. Like, exactly. it's fucking horrifying. It really is. It really is. Yeah. And I mean, to add to that, so a 2017 report uh, focused on uh, a few weeks when the NYPD purposely pulled back on what they called proactive policing. That's such a problematic term. Like, I feel like that's exactly what we're talking, like going out of your way mm-hmm. to issue summons and tickets and arrest for things that are not really co- like threatening public safety. Mm-hmm. But in that period, uh, they found that there were 2,100 fewer crime complaints during that time. I mean, I don't know if that was public facing, like if they told the community, like, we're not going to take your calls. Probably not. They probably just uh, changed how they operated. But yeah, like this has been done. This is effective. This helps. It's a huge, huge undertaking. Like what we're, Mm -hmm. what we're demanding now and what we're thinking at it's just like, it's undoing things that we have, we have come to know as fact and as the reality of life for a really long time. And there are so many cop shows that we all, have watched growing up that, you know, mm-hmm. incline us to give law enforcement the benefit of the doubt uh-huh. and not always, you know, we will hear it over and over again that lots of cops are good and are disgusted by this behavior. And I have no doubt about that, but uh, yeah, we should also ask ourselves like why we are so inclined to give these people the benefit of the doubt when like over and over again in certain places, mm-hmm. they prove they do not deserve it. Yeah, I, I I did see some things that like like what you mentioned over the weekend and stuff, talking about how the like the glorification of police officers and like buddy cop movies, yeah. etc. And I'm like, oh yeah, so we are like, and you know, a lot of times, so we are forced to think that they're these like happy go lucky, right, quirky people. Sometimes it's, you know, it's like, and it's like you know, like we they're not binary, you know what I mean? So it's. Right. It's true. Exactly. It's interesting to see how that plays out. Right. And it's also, it's like, I don't know if like 21 Jump Street is really a flattering depiction of cops anyway. Yeah, that's true. I, like, Reno 911. Oh, they're just gentle and silly. It's like, well, is that better? Yeah, totally. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, um, I guess until the end of democracy, I'm Brian Russell Smith. And I'm Amanda Duberman. And this has been the Betches Up Podcast. 
The Betcha Sup Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman. Our podcast managers are Mike Coscarelli and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Bernie Levine. The Sup is created by Sammy Fishbein. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to Sup at Betches.com. Betches.